Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. You know, what would you say is distinctive about how you approach your, your, your solos and your playing you know, uh, what's a signature for you? Whatever feels good. My whole thing is always about feel. Just like um, when I explain to somebody that um, my relationship to chords and phrases and things weren't so much based on what I heard. It was more about what I felt, um, which goes back to the colors. Um, which was part of the reason why, you know, we tuned down. And nobody quite understood the whole idea of down tuning uh, until it became, you know, the, the new metal thing. You know, we were doing it ages before, you know, when John, when, when the second album came out, Gumma Millennium, John Connie's theory was tuned down to D. And that track was the heaviest thing anybody had heard it literally just destroyed people and we laughed because we knew it sounded like godzilla like i'm coming to fuck up your town but i was like y'all don't understand i've been tuning down for years um so what i hear is kind of like it's almost i hear horns um when i play a lot of times so my lines while they're guitar based i hear horns um, and I used to always laugh because everybody goes, ah, so do, what happens? Are you ever, you have a good night or a bad night? I said, there's no such thing. I'm either, I'm either Parker or I'm Coltrane. <laughs> there are no bad notes, you know, hit a bad note, bend it. It's a good note. Um, my thing is just, it, it's you, it, it, it's me. I think I'm such a mashup of my favorite players. Um, I think I got lucky. I think I got lucky in the sense that all the guys who I really loved, I loved them so much that I didn't want to imitate them. I just wanted to stoke up what they did. And I got lucky that by taking all of them, they came out sounding like me. That's the way you're supposed to do it. Yeah, not everyone does, especially with all no. the YouTube stuff now. But Oh, Lord. I, you know, I tell people all the time, I'm like, the best thing you can have is influence, but the second best thing you can have is individuality. Um, you're supposed to stand on the backs of giants. That's how you actually start to understand your own craft. 
look to the people who inspire you, find something in them, take it, put it in your Cuisinart, but put some of your own shit in it. By the time you finish, you got a whole different broth. <laughs> you yeah, know? Millennium Gumbo or something like it. <laughs> you know what's funny? Man, so this was great. So just recently, um, I got back my tour jacket from the very first tour. I didn't even know where it was. But my cousin had it. I had moved away years ago. And I said, here, hold this. He's had it for 20-some-odd years. It was in a box in a closet. And he recently found it. And I was like, oh, my God. That thing is in such bad shape. I said, I'm going to get it tightened up. I'm going to get it taken care of. The original art director at, in effect, Relativity, I'm still in contact with. And I tagged all my old record company guys in the picture. And they're like, wow. And he inboxes me. And he goes, Jimmy, he goes, I have something you might be interested in. I was like, what? He goes, give me your address. I'm going to send you a, a, a box of some stuff. He sends me, which was amazing. He sent me, because Rick did all the original artwork. Rick is an artist, amazing artist. He did the artwork for Gummo Millennium. Um, he did the layout for him and Dave Beck did the layout for Harder Than You. But when we were doing Gumbo, the original title for the album was Woodstock 1990. Hmm. And um, he had done the original artwork, and that was the title of the album, and we got an injunction posed against us by Warner Brothers, um, who said we couldn't use the name. Hmm. We were like, oh, man, because we had the artwork and everything. We were like, oh, fuck, what are we going to change it to? And I can That's not the spirit of Woodstock. <laughs> Dude, peace and love, man. You're like, we'll sue you if you use Woodstock 1990. That's like, ironic, yeah. Yeah, I was like, okay, but we thought about the music, which, you know, the weirdest thing about the first year, we had people trying to describe what the band did. And it became annoying after about three months because they didn't write. Spies plays punk, funk, jazz, rock, skosky, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Like, how many genres can you throw in? It's, you know, okay, fine, fine, fine. By the end of the year, when we went in and we finally made Gumbo Millennium, I'll never forget, we went to go shoot uh, an EPK, and we went to D.C. to play a show, a one-off show. And I did the first interview with a dude, and he's sitting on the bus, and we're talking, and he goes, um, so is, is, is there going to be more funk, punk, jazz, rock, ska, blah, blah, blah. I said, no, dude. I said, it's heavy metal soul. And he had that look on his face like the dog that hears the invisible whistle, his head like cocked sideways. And he just stood there for like a good 15 seconds. And then he went, wow. He goes, it makes so much sense. That's genius. I said, no, that's what it is. It's We make heavy metal soul music. I said, we needed to define the genre for ourselves so y'all can finally start calling it what it is and not what you think it is. Um, but what my dude just sent me last week in this box was the original drawings that Rick had done with Woodstock 1990. And then we changed it to Gumbo Millennium because Gumbo was the sound. We mixed all this stuff up. 
millennium was because it was the it was the first year of the nineties. We were like, yeah, it's the new millennium. <laughs> Gumbo millennium. But I just got all this artwork, and Rick hadn't Rick forgot. He didn't even know it was still in existence. And I call him up and I FaceTime and I go, dude, I said, you want to see something? He goes, yeah, what? I got back like all the handwritten song lyrics, handwritten credits. And he's like, where did you get this stuff? And then I pull up the artwork and he freaked. He was like, oh my God, where did you get this stuff? I said, Dave Beck. He goes, you're kidding. He had it all these years. I was like, yep. Tour jacket showed up from 1989. <laughs> Original artwork. Oh, what, a, what a great surprise. Ah, just, I'm, you know, I'm always amazed when, when somebody pops up with something because I lost a lot of stuff. You know, I lost a lot. And I, I tried to keep everything, but I lost a lot of stuff over the years. So whenever somebody shows up with something that I used to have that I don't have, I'm like grateful to see it. <laughs> Like I can't, I, I can't even imagine what's what's gonna happen the day spies hit. If that even, you know, if that even happens, because will it be the song that nobody even expected to be a hit? <laughs> you know, because I, I realize now that you know I don't listen to the radio. Number one, um, I never really did. I stopped listening to the radio after the seventies. Um, because once disco became a thing in the 80s, it was like, y'all ain't playing shit I want to hear. Um, but I don't listen because, you know, I listen to national, to NPR. Um, <laughs> I listen to old jazz stations, but, you know, today's music doesn't thrill me at all. Yeah, I hear you. It really doesn't. And, you know, and I tell everybody, it's not because there's not... Um, legitimate artists, I said, but artistry has been cheapened. I said, and people gravitate towards you know, I don't I don't get into the ad, you know, just pour add water and stir and it's instant. No, you know, doesn't have legs, you know. Will it will it be here in ten years? You know? Like I even laugh about spies, you know, sometimes because it's been 35 years. Well, like that. <laughs> Whatever, however long it's been. But, you know, the beautiful thing, even when the last record came out, I was I was amazed by the response that people had to it. Um, Honestly, it exceeded my expectations. Really? Yeah. Because, you know, you've been away so long, I didn't really <laughs> right. know what to expect. And... Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's like, wow. Yeah. I, I told somebody I guess this is the grown the grown man spies album. <laughs> That's what it felt like. I said, you know, and and somebody just recently on a thread had said something about um who's who's a who's a band, who's a hardcore band that you wish that you thought should have been bigger? And somebody said us. And I saw that, and I was like, "Really?" They were like, "I never." You considered them a hardcore band? He goes, "Yeah, especially with the first album." Um, I said, "Well, don't leave out the second album because there were thrashy moments there too." I said, "But do you understand that you can become a one-trick pony?" Um, I said, "If we made the same record over and over and over again, you would either start hating us, stop supporting us." 
or just stop listening to us. Because you'd be like, oh yeah, I know what to expect. I said, we don't make records for anybody other than ourselves, which makes us our own worst enemy. But we're happy. <laughs> we make music for us. And if you dig it, thank you. That's I, that's the case with most of my favorite artists. They make the music for themselves. Yeah, most of the stuff that I dig, most people don't even, you know, it, my collection is filled with, my collection is filled with bands that have become what we've become to other people now. That's crazy. Yeah, it's true, you know? right? And George Clinton told me something. This was this was so deep. Told me this in '89. So <laughs> I don't know if you can keep this in or you can edit this out. But so the show that we played with them um, in in, in Ohio, which was just crazy. Um, it was it was literally like a weird dream come true because so many of our heroes showed up to the gig. Some of the cats from the Ohio Players showed up. Um, some of the cats from the Barcade showed up. Wilson showed up. It was just, you know, we were just sitting there literally just like, it just didn't stop because everybody came to see George, you know, but they also wound up seeing spies. It was like, man. But at the end of the night, I went upstairs to go do a dummy check in the dressing room, and we had chair the dressing room. Um, I go upstairs, not thinking anybody's in, or, you know, nobody's in there, but we had a, um, a mutual, there was one bathroom and two big dressing rooms. And I go in, and George is sitting on the toilet, door wide open. I walk in, I'm like, oh, shit, I was like, oh, man, I'm sorry, I, I didn't know you was in there. He goes, no, no, Jimmy, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you, man. I'm like, okay. In my mind, I'm going, George Clinton is sitting on the fucking toilet with a tray of blow on his lap, his back around his ankles, sweating profusely, and extensions and shit falling all over the floor. I want to talk to you. He's all hoarse. I want to talk to you, man. Still. And I'm like, well, because it's George Clinton sitting on the toilet with his pants around his ankles with a tray of blow on his lap, sweating profusely with extensions falling all over the floor. I'm going to pull up a chair and sit down. <laughs> so I pull up a chair and I sit down. And he goes, I got to tell you something, man. I'm like, yes, sir, please. He goes, watching y'all motherfuckers tonight was like watching us 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. He goes, you know how deep that shit was? And I said, no, but you just gave me the highest compliment I could have got from anybody. I said, that. Wow, really? He goes, no, serious. He goes, you, y'all, 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 y'all might easily just be the future, dude. He goes, I don't know. He goes, but I'm going to tell you something. I said, what? He goes, I, I hope it don't take motherfuckers 20 years to catch on to what y'all doing. And when he said that, I looked at him, I was like, that must be some good-ass blow. <laughs> <laughs> because... We got we got a video played on MTV, BET, Much Music, you know, our album's on the charts, you know, we're, we, the tour is everywhere, we're in every magazine, paper, press, and I'm thinking in my mind, like, well, we've arrived, we, we, everybody knows who we are, and the weirdest thing was, i never forget when we got to East West, got to the major deal, 
got all this money, um, and then Sylvia Rhone tried to kill the fucking band by killing the record. Um, all of a sudden, I heard George in my head, you know, in, in, in the recesses of my brain, going, I hope it don't take people 20 years to catch on to what y'all doing. Because what I wound up seeing happen next was a whole bunch of white bands who literally made a meal out of Harder Than You, Gumbo Millennium, and This Is 24-7 Spies, get all signed to major labels, major money put behind them, and they called it New Metal. All of a sudden, there was a, there was a, there was a genre that was dominated by anybody who wasn't black that was so rooted in the blackness of black music because we didn't care we we called our shit black music it was it was music for everybody but it was black music but i said wow and i'm watching everybody and i'm like i'm hearing more riffs that sound like i could have shit them out <laughs> and i'm hearing just you know and i'm watching all this money getting you know spread around by these labels on these bands i'm like this is crazy but we all of a sudden became like non-existent. But every so often, somebody would go, "Oh man, you know, twenty-four-seven spies, you know, the best band you never, the best band you never knew or you never heard." We're still here, <laughs> y'all. Y'all haven't caught up to us yet. You know what I mean? And I was like, George was so right. And I remember I got to tell him that a couple of years ago. I said, "You told me something in 1989 that I." thought you were crazy when you said it, but I understood it like, you know, twenty years later and it made so much sense. I said, you drop jewels, dude, all the time. Do you, like, do you think oh. do you think he intended to have a racial element of what he was saying or just in general? I think in general. I think in general. But yeah. you know, like the, the weird thing for us was that we actually didn't we, we knew we were black of course, but I didn't see, I didn't see music um, from a color standpoint. Being black was black, you know. Didn't matter what it what I played. Um, but the funny thing was, I remember we had all this press, 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 press. We had Norman Winters and Associates as our as our press agent. The legendary Otis Winthorpe, aka Pete Weatherby, um, was our press guy at Norman Winters, and um. I couldn't believe the amount of press we had garnered in the first with the first two records. Crazy, and I never forget when we we um, lost our drummer, lost our singer, got a new drummer, new singer, made the EP, um, all this talk, blah 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 yada yada, and when we finally put out Strength in Numbers the following year, I never forget. I did an interview with a guy who highly respected. Highly respected journalist, and he goes, Jimmy, can I can I tell you something? He goes, me and you are, are I, I consider us friends. I said, fuck yeah, you can say whatever you want. He goes, you know what's what's weird about this record? I said, no. What? He goes, this is hands down the best record you guys have ever made. I said, and that's weird. He goes, no. No, he goes, it's amazing. He goes, this record is, this could be the standard that everybody else 
should be following. I said, okay. but what's weird? He goes, you don't, you're not going to scare people anymore. I said, what are you, what are you talking about? I said, we don't, I said, what do you mean scare people? He goes, you might not know it. He said, but half the journalists that talk to you guys, especially during the Harder Than You and Gumbo Millennium period, he goes, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a certain thing where an all black band scares white journalists because you do things that they swear you're not supposed to do and you do it better than the people they think are supposed to do it. He said, and that scares them. I said, that's interesting. I said, and why do we not scare? Why would we not scare people now? He goes, because you put a white guy in your bed. <laughs> I said, oh shit. Wow. He goes, you won't scare people anymore. He said, you, you, you got one in your van. And he was white. He goes, trust and believe. He goes, oh. He goes, he goes, I'm not saying that you're, he goes, you are more dangerous as a band now because this record is absolutely dangerous. He goes, but the perception will change because it's not a black band because it's a white guy in the band. And I was like, I hope not because we didn't, I didn't ask Joel to join the band because he was white. Mm. I asked him to join the band because he was a badass drummer. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But it was that weird thing. And I was like, all of a sudden, I was like, so now we got color playing into this music. You know, because the one thing the major label did that I didn't care for was they tried to put us in a box that didn't exist. Color has always been an issue in the music business. I mean, I. We could talk about that a long time because I grew up in it um, being a fan of black music, you know, and mm -hmm. and being a crusader for it and, and seeing all the obstacles and all the biases, you right. know, in the industry and in and, and people. Right. So it's just a damn shame. But um, I think it's lessened over time. But well, because, you know, well, the industry is garbage. There is no industry as far as I'm concerned. It's like the moment it became less and less about character and just content, you know, yeah, drop as much crap as you want as long as you keep it coming. But, you know, there's, there's a new celebrity star every other day and half of them suck. I'm like, but why do you give these people the time of day? Oh, because you, you've got a million streams and you've hired a great press agent and you know, TMZ caught you stumbling out of a club one night drunk and shit with your pants half down. You know, I'm I'm not Daffy Duck. I don't I'm not gonna drink gasoline, light the match, blow myself up so you can write about. Because if I do that, I can only do it once. Well, when actual talent is like down the list of what matters. Yeah. You know? I had a moment when, you know, when, when this record came out, you know, and it was weird. I, I can say it now, but um, I actually thought I was going to die um, when I finished this record because it was such an emotional undertaking. Um, it, it took a lot out of me um, because it was so personal. And I was like, this record... I hope it doesn't fall on deaf ears because it means a lot. Um, you know, and it was even so much to the point where, like, I could, I didn't want to mix the record because I was like, I, I, I can't fuck it up. 
I'm sorry, I was so I was so close to it that I was scared that I couldn't separate myself from like I would never finish it because which I was driving people I was driving everybody crazy because I kept going back and adding more I hear another harmony I heard another another line I heard another you know I would just keep going bring in the sax player bring in the flute player bring in the string section bring in the girls you know I just got I got so consumed by like it. the become like the the what Brian what's it, uh, Brian Wilson yeah. yeah and this was this had turned into that and I was like if I die this is the perfect record to leave as my my swan song you know and when it was time to mix it I didn't want to mix it so I called Terry Dayton I was like hey um would you would you mix this record and he goes yeah if you mix it with me I was like oh okay <laughs> I'm, I guess I'm coming to Seattle you know so I went up there and we mixed it and it was like it was great but it was like when I got home I all of a sudden fell into this weird like I won't. I can't call it a depression, but I just felt like my job was done, and now I can leave. And that was the weirdest feeling because the second day after I got home, I realized I didn't have to get up and go to the studio. You know, like I had completed my mission, and that was the strangest feeling. Like, you know, I was like, you should never make a record and feel like it's, you know, like now you can die. <laughs> But, you know, I, I come to realize that the first time somebody said, oh, wow, this, this record is great. When are you going to put out another one? I was like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> go play this motherfucker five more times because you ain't heard shit. You got to listen to it over it. You got to keep the more you listen, the more you hear. I said, this album was designed like a 70s record. And listen to it in its proper order because that's it's 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 it flows that way it's meant that way and i said and i started to understand that people don't listen to records like that because yeah. people's attention span is like that so the first thing they want to do is jump 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 yep. and i'm like you miss you're missing the beauty of the record um which i didn't understand and then i had people say to me i i thought you guys were going to make a, a heavier record and i said you got fooled I said, because you've gotten so tricked out by bands who, because they tune down to the key of O, <clears throat> you think that's heaviness. I'm like, dude, lyrical content is heaviness. Groove is heaviness. Melodicism is heaviness. I'm like, not the key you tune to. Yeah, the riffs are there, the grooves are there. I said, what is heavy? I said, you know, I said, if I don't, I said, y'all got to understand something. And I thought about what this next record, we won't make another album. Um, because it took too much out of me to make this one. I said, maybe what we'll do from now on moving forward is make singles. Um, one song at a time. Here's a song. Live with it. <laughs> when do you get another one? I don't know. But you got that one, didn't you? But you won't get 10 songs from this dude. Um, but, yeah, it's like, if you, don't, if you don't appreciate the art form, then you, you completely miss the, the biggest part of the journey.
this is art. I, you know, I've never made it. I've never. Spies has never made. Well, I think it's bad. I think there's only one album we made that I regret making, and that's temporarily disconnected. Yep. And the only reason why I regret that record is because that record should have not been the album that showed up after Strength in Numbers. It was like going backwards. We put the original band together, and it just. It had its moments, but it wasn't. I could see it, that it it wasn't it wasn't continuing the arc and the progression. No, we went backwards because we brought in a singer who you know while he could sing, his his IQ <laughs> was less desirable. Uh, it was great having Anthony Johnson on drums again because he was an amazing drummer. Um, but this, you know, it just yeah, it was. I I always thought that maybe you sort of retreated a little bit after that bad experience, you know, with East West. We did. We we broke the band up. We we broke the band up because I think well, one because we didn't realize we didn't realize how lucky we were um, with our independent <laughs> independent relativity in effect record home. Um, they were mavericks in the same sense that the band were renegades. They were just as crazy as we were, and whatever they went to do, they did. Like, whatever we wanted to play, we played. And why do you think everybody found out about the first album and the second album? And we got spoiled because we thought that's how it was going to be we we thought we would never leave the label, and when it came, you know, time that they didn't want to move forward, and we were like, well, we have to find a new home. The crazy thing was, we had every major label come and see us, and we actually had the makings of what would have been a bidding war. Um, but East West had sent um, Wendy Goldstein to come see us. And she went back and told Sylvia Roan, you need to sign them. Um, but, um, you know, I also think there was an, another thing about that because she was Anthony Johnson's godmother, which we didn't know. Um, as a whole, there's a whole series of nepotism in that whole thing. But um, just to round that out, we eventually figured out that. You ever saw the movie A Soldier Story? Yeah, good movie. Remember the character Sarge? It's been a long time. Oh, um, oh my man, Sarge. Sarge was the Sarge was the the high yellow sergeant who didn't like dark skinned Negroes. He was, um, yeah, had a had a had a thing about that. Well, he's basically what Sylvia Rome was. Um, as far as we all were concerned, we called it a black widow, black rock, <laughs> because she literally would sign a band to kill a band, you know, or sign a band um, who had some success. Like Family Stand had success with the first album, um, with Ghetto Heaven, um, but Moon and Scorpio was the record they were born to make. And that record was so badass. And because it rocked harder than anything, it, it wasn't anything relatable with regards to Ghetto Heaven. 
oh, that was that was sacrilege. You know, she killed that. You know, she did it with us. You know, you spent all this money, but then you you killed the record. Are you kidding me? She did it with um the brand new Immortals, David Ryan Harris's project. You know. She didn't do anything with the Gales brothers, but it was just you know we just kept watching anything you sign it because it makes you look hip, but behind the scenes it's like black people should be playing this music. <laughs> wow, but yet and still you want to sit there and go yeah you know I helped make Motley Crue a success, I helped break the Black Album by Metallica, I was Pantera's biggest champion, so you know I figured out. At that point, that continuing is the best revenge. Making music is the best revenge. Staying in this game is the best revenge. I, you know, I got. I don't think. I don't think we're done by a long shot. Um. I don't know if it's about us being current because we don't. We're not slaves to. To anything, we just make music. Um, I'm 57, you know, I'm going to keep doing this until I can't do it. You know, I remember I told somebody, I said, you know, the one thing that used to annoy me was when I used to see um, rock dudes, black rock dudes who, you know, by the time they hit their, like, their late 40s, all of a sudden wanted to become, like, crooners. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, or, or now, now you're a blues guy, you know, smooth jazz. I'm like... Turn in your motherfucking rock card, dude. I'm like, this is the shit you do until you drop. You know? I always we, hate that even just uh, like a lot of the funk groups, you know, when they like totally mellow it out. Yeah. It's like, what the hell, man? And, you know, I, we, I had a conversation about the Commodores recently. And I said, you know, I love early Commodores. I said, man, I said, you know, for that matter, if I had to add an album to my list, it would be Hot Off the Tracks. Ah, that's that a great one. Album. Oh, man. You Can't know, take the answer. Ooh. But strangely enough, my two favorite songs, well, the whole album, but Girl, I Think the World About You and High, High on Sunshine. High on Sunshine is great. Dude, you know, wow. But, I, you know, I said, the Commodores were so badass. I said, and... All of a sudden, I said, I, I remember seeing w what I call the Barry Gordy thing. <laughs> because he he did it, to, he tried to do it to every artist he had, every every group. He tried to put that dissension thing in where I'm going to make you the star, you know. Eh, whatever, you know. I remember reading where David Ruffin had made the suggestion that, you know, they become David Ruffin and the Temptations, and Otis was like, "That's not going to happen." Um, well, Motown, Motown was notorious for it, but other labels started doing it too. Sure, know. yeah, you know, like I was—I remember thinking about the Shy Lights, and I always thought about just how deep Eugene Record was um, as a producer, as a songwriter, as a vocalist, and I was like, "Man." You know, that dude, by all right, rightfully could have said, I want to be Eugene Record in the shot. <laughs> but he never did. You know, I think there might have been at one point where they they featured him when he came back. Um, 
when they did the thing hot hot on the thing for love or whatever it was. I think it was a satellite featuring Eugene record or something. And I was like, wow, it took it took thirty years for you to finally get a <laughs> a feature credit and shit. Like wow, but he came back. Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. You know, it's like the Miracles. Yeah, okay. But now it's uh, Shaka Khan. Yeah, I said Rufus was a band. Rufus was a band until that happened. You know, you know, you know another group that I think about all the time. And I swear, I wish. Wow, I wish they could have made a proper album. Baby Huey. Baby Huey. Seriously. Because Listen to Me was like one of those wow. That was another one of those watershed moments as a kid. And the thing about the guitar solo still to this day that freaks me out is that it just sounds so drunk. It's beautiful though. I mean it's like it's 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 emotionally drunk. <laughs> it is oh God. And see I would always try to search out the guitar plays whenever I found something. Um it was the same thing like when I heard the horse by Cliff Nobles and Company. That guitar joint Dude, I mean, you talk about if, if you want rhythm one on one, go learn that motherfucker. Good luck, work on it. Um, I did though. I, I learned that shit. It killed my wrist, but I got it. Hmm. But it was like, man, you know, there's so many unsung cats, you know. But when I think about Baby Huey, it's like, man, listen to me was just like, what was that? <laughs> what was that? And I recently come across pictures of them um, from a festival they played in Indiana um, not long before he died. And it's just like, man, I got lost in the pictures. I just kept staring at them because you don't see any pictures of them in that element. This is them literally playing. I forgot who was on the festival. It was like, uh, I want to say Steppenwolf or MC5. It was a rock festival. But dude is upstairs. He's got on these overalls. He's barefoot. It's like hippie fest and shit. And it's just like, man, imagine what could have happened next if he hadn't have died. <clears throat> is there anything that you actually want to promote? Do you want to mention? Yeah, go go buy that album. You know. Thanks to the pandemic and, you know, us having to cancel the tour and everything, you know, the record is still available. We still have vinyl available. We, we didn't even press up the second. After we ran out of the, the physical CDs, we never did a second run. Um, simply because I said I, I refuse to spend money. Um, yeah. Where is there is there a uh, source that you get a bigger cut of if they get it from a certain source? No, we it's it is us. Okay, but, you know, but I just you know like the the weird thing was like I remember I put up a thread one day and I asked people about downloads. Like I said, I don't do downloads. 
I want I want something I can physically put my hands on. I want product. I want CD, but really I want vinyl. You know, and I ask everybody if we pressed up vinyl, who would be willing to purchase vinyl because it won't be cheap. And everybody said, I will. And I was like, wow, I was amazed. And a lot of people did buy vinyl. Um, they bought up all the CDs. Um, we still have the vinyl, but a lot of people downloaded the record. And I was like, don't listen to it like that because it squishes the bandwidth. You know, it's 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 not breathing. You, I want you to hear the vinyl because it's fat and warm and three dimensional. And people were like, but I don't have a turntable. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I well, vinyl's get... made a nice little comeback, though. It it's right now. It's still it's it's still it's probably selling more than anything else right now. Yeah. Which is so. Please, y'all go to band. Let me let me let me tell you what it is. <laughs> what is it? Bandcamp. Uh, you can find the twenty four seven spies. The sound check to the innermost galaxy on Bandcamp. Put it like that. Cool go enough. <laughs> it's gonna be so cool talking with you. All these stories, man. Just knocking it around and. Uh, dude, my, my my pleasure, man. Seriously. Seriously, absolutely. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm sorry it took so long. I, 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 I know what you do. Absolutely, I know you. I've known what you've done for years, and I, I thank you for being a champion for this music and, and music in general, period. Um, you're a funk soldier. <laughs> All right. I got to keep records to annoy people. <laughs> keep them coming, man. <laughs> We will. All Thank right. you so much, man. Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay safe. All right. Take care. Peace. Peace. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkinstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store, for cool merchandise at funkinstuff.net and linking through funkinstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven results-oriented professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on keep vibing, on vibing to the rhythm of the one.